0: About the days we you you I mean, if you don't mind sharing, um, like, I guess, like, what's your particular background like what did you study or what led you to study the the things that you majored in college
1: or if you want to just give a
0: bit more background about like how you grew up that transition from like high school to college
1: yeah i would say i i had done speech and debate in, in high in high school um and i really like found that as a way of like expression of something that I thought I wanted to do in the future. So I thought I wanted to do maybe like human rights or like political work. And at that time I was probably like a, you know, like a leftist Mm -hmm. liberal, I would say like, you know, a Bernie Sanders type or whatever, you know? Um, But I had also really loved reading on the side and I wanted to get like, you know, I always loved reading novels and theory, like philosophy And I also thought maybe I wanted to get like a philosophy PhD when I went to college, you know? Yeah. Like by the time I had finished high school, I was like, actually I want to teach basically, or to write. So I thought about that. And then in, in college, I ended up majoring in like literature and, uh, PPE philosophy, politics, economics. Mm Uh, so it was like, Tiny that tiny sliver of economics that I was talking about. Uh, But my interest shifted, I would say, almost immediately when I got to college and transitioned more from like policy stuff and human rights to like philosophy and and theory. And I just like began voraciously reading like all all of the, a lot of the theory that ends up being like the core theory for me. Mm now. Um, And so I ended up going into graduate school. And I just uh, finished my master's. So uh, in college, I wrote a thesis on like Thomas Pynchon and Baudrillard, on like futurity and yada, yada. And my master's thesis, I'm more into focusing like My graduate stuff is more on both, like psychoanalysis and literature, Mm -hmm. the twentieth century novel, uh, and questions of like individuality and collectivity in the twentieth century novel, Mm -hmm. um, from modernism into maybe postmodernism, if you want to call it that. Um, But my thesis was on like psychoanalysis and uh, the modernist sort of ethos, uh, and it was predominantly like feminist psychoanalysis uh, would, would, was what I focus on. So that's one strain. And then simultaneously, I also do a lot of stuff with like uh, finance and financial, financial theory and the concept of financialization that comes out of like the Boston Review School of Economics. Um, that's like a kind of a different strain of of thought that that's sort of academic too but uh i don't know in the future in the future i want to do that sort of literary criticism and continue to do that but i i'm interested in in more cultural theory and critical theory uh you know outside of academia particularly because i don't think you can express it very well in like the academic setting nowadays
0: yeah i guess Just like a follow-up question to that would be what kind of made you or what kind of things just kind of growing up led to those particular interests or what, how do you, how do you combine them all or make them coherent, I guess?
1: I think that's a good question. I don't know if you do. Uh, My entire, my entire like history of interests and thought um, has been so disparate. In, in that like, you know, when I was very young, I really liked, uh, finance. And I was like, you know, just like a little freak, like a, you know, 10 year old, like just loved the stock market, loved finance. I wanted to be like, a, you know, like a, like a hedge fund manager or something, you know, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And that made me like sort of an autodidact in financial literature mm-hmm. to a weird level, but. I completely abandoned that when I sort of came into uh consciousness as a as a young adult into like politics, you know, and became significantly more radical and and hateful towards, you know, the financial system that I had read about and knew was was, you know, problematic, but had found the articulation for that in sort of political theory, you know. So I, I thought that was something that I would never sort of reintegrate into myself, or I thought that was sort of like a lost train of thought, but I have brought that that kind of interest and knowledge to, you know, a more like uh, dedicated and, you know, you could call it Marxist, but I don't think that's the right way to, to fully like encapsulate it. Uh, you know, like economic theory, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know how it works, really. And it's it's it, it's probably a, a highly complex, unconscious process. But um, it's interesting to see how things operate like that. How is it for you? Like, what, what about your, like, major interests growing up as compared to now? Like, you want to give, like, a little bit of a sketch of, of those?
0: Yeah. So I think I had, like, a pretty like similar experience like um not so much in terms of financialization i don't think i paid too much attention to that um but in terms of like just my interests, i i i I think it's funny that you bring up how it's like it's hard to make them coherent right um they almost seem to be it almost seems to be like all the things that you conceptualize tend to be idiosyncratic in one way or another but in terms of just, like, growing up, um, I grew up, like, in a pretty, like, Christian household. Um, and so even now that tends to kind of affect or definitely shapes a lot of the stuff that I think about. It's almost like the like the Christian trauma, you know? <laughs> yeah. Rec- like, <laughs> they're recovering from being Christian in a way. But, um, yeah, I mean, just, like, my general interest, like, Going from high school, from being particularly Christian, um, Mm -hmm. like you know, I I genuinely had pretty strong beliefs in the divine and things like that. So going into college was one of those things of like reprogramming my framework of Mm -hmm. my understanding of reality and what that meant. So I I feel like comparison to some other people who may have a similar experience in terms of. Like changing their epistemology, their moral, their moral framework, things like that. Yeah. In college, which tends to be, you know, most people tend to have some sort of, um, you know, fragmentation of their beliefs, and then they restructure them or blah 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 based on right based on what they learn in school. But um, I feel like I had a very unique, um, or at least not unique, but at least a very head-on task with that, like. For me, it was not just like oh, well, I'm not a Christian anymore or something like that. It was like a right, like a complete like change in how I I conceived of the world. I mean, I, when I say I was like really religious growing up, I mean like I was I I I believe the world was gonna end and you know all the Christian eschatology type things like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did too. Uh, I I think we went through a very similar process, but. And mine, I think by the time I got to high school or like eighth grade, that's when I started going through like a rejection of Christianity, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's interesting as that experience is so interesting that you're talking about of like shedding or like moving out of a a political or a religious ideology, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah
1: into something else you know
0: yeah because even with like things like you know once once i was at university and things like that and i was like you know studying i studied philosophy and um broadcast production Mm -hmm. which is kind of ironic right (laughs) starting a podcast yeah but um just kind of like the the, like reading marxist theory and stuff like that like you know I, i feel like in a lot of ways, even if you don't like it, you're kind of exposed to it, so you just kind of read it. Um, right. A lot of, a lot of stuff. I, I mean, I went through. I mean, there's there's a lot of quote unquote arcs that I went through during college. Um, you know, there was like my strong libertarian phase where I was like, oh well, this makes sense because it it it's the thing that adheres closest to my already existing Christian beliefs, right? So then yeah, um, once I got bored with that or whatever. You know, I did the whole ideology shifting where it's like, oh, well, now I think Marxism is pretty cool. So then I started reading a lot of Marxist theory. And then I was like, well, this is just Christianity. Right. (laughs) But like (laughs) different framework. But um, obviously it's not like a deep reading of Marxism and I don't want to present it that way. But um, just generally speaking, I, I, I felt like that's that's what attracted me to it. This this moralization that it tends to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I think once you've gone through, it's interesting that we've both began sort of the disillusionment from an ideology with Christianity. But I think once you like experience that, it's hard to um, do it again, so to speak, to like consciously become engrossed in another ideology Mm -hmm. that you can feel is sort of a leap of faith that is not like um a true leap of faith it's like a leap of faith towards something that's that's wrong you know that's like inherently controlling
0: yeah it's almost like um like realizing like or not realizing, but in a way, like, instead of a leap for faith, like you mentioned, it's like, oh, here's another pill to swallow.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Exactly. That's that's exactly what it is. It's like, yeah, you, you know, oh, you're getting over Christianity, here's Marxism, you know. Right. Oh, you're disillusioned with Marxism, here's accelerationism, you know. Oh, you're disillusioned with acceleration, here's, you know, neo right monarchism. <laughs> so on and so forth, you know.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that's reflected a lot, by like the twitter space um where you see like people go through and, and like the true sense of what i feel like to lose what mentioned about like schizophrenia like people shift through personalities identities you know there are all yeah. these anime you were talking about this earlier there's all these anime profile pictures and they go through like their marxism phase they're Acceleration of accelerationism phase, and then they become neo reactionaries because you know that's what landed. So it must be cool.
1: Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's it. I well, I wonder if it's part mimicry, part uh, pattern. You know, of an underlying process. You know that right. that there's certain tracks, so to speak, that you can kind of shift ideologies, but there's, you know a high chance that you shift into certain other ideologies or, you know, you know, and is that because <clears throat> people want to imitate, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, Nick Land? Or, you know, is it, is it that Nick Land is uh, sort of almost like a, a signpost on one of the ideological sort of like circuits and its breakdown?
0: I feel like you bring up like a pretty interesting point. Like how much of it is quote unquote part of the process, right? Like Mm -hmm. if we're trying to like schematize it in accelerationist terms, like how much of this is like, well, there's no narrative. So any narrative is as good as any, any other, Right. right? So it's like a constant search for a meta narrative. Right. And then how much of that has to do with capitalism, the process, whatever you want to name it. And then the other part would just be how much of this is just, like, um, like machinic social conditions, if that makes sense. Like, how much of right. this is, like, just historical, historically contingent on, like, human, like, human biases, like, just in general, like, like humans yeah. haven't changed that much. I mean, culture has and stuff like that, but, like, right. our cognitive biases... I mean they're pretty much the same to mm-hmm. some degree.
1: I mean there's really start are still conditioned I think by like mm-hmm. social systems, economic systems, right. surveillance systems. So, you know, they're they're relatively uh controlled within, you know, a certain set of circuitry. Right. Um,
0: I I have a quick question for you if mm-hmm. um like you don't have to answer it if you don't want to but in terms of like uh return like a return to an ideology or temperaments or anything like that from when you were younger Mm -hmm. have you ever had a case like that like i know that in the social sciences it's like very common for if you grew up to be like christian or a bit more socially conservative as you get older you tend to return to those values or those temperaments so have you seen that happen to you or um do you see that Um, happening or anything like that
1: not politically, or uh, you know, necessarily religiously, you know, uh, with Christianity. But I have sort of like come to like a dialectical synthesis of Christianity, of coming to terms with like you know the idea that it's incorporated and repressed in into me because I grew up with it, you know, mm-hmm. and that there. But I, I sort of see a certain set of beliefs in Christianity morally and uh, philosophically that that are like interesting and useful, you know, mm-hmm. that that I can connect with and not hate it because I, I literally had discarded it completely and said, you know, anything that's Christian is, you know, the moral slavery that Nietzsche, you know, warns us of, you know, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. But I, I don't believe that's necessarily true, but I, I do believe that there's a difference between like those belief systems which i think are heretical to any sort of church you know like i I don't think the church is good you know i think the church is like a a kind of a terrible institution that's the result of like the moral bankruptcy of Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like human social systems for hundreds of years you know it's not something to be associated with you know uh like yeah for for me personally you know right um, so, I'm not kind of like necessarily coming back to those beliefs, but I, I would say politically and philosophically and spiritually, I'm more interested in maintaining a constant like flow, you know, of mm-hmm. speculation about any ideology or, you know, sort of belief system that I put on myself, but also stay true to, to true, to stay true, I should say, to like a, a form of life, you know, or, or an understanding that you know i should have ideas that like inform my actions and so that often means like using thought and like doing things politically or socially that i believe are either like morally correct you know like helping people so to speak or like empathic beliefs or um sort of live or think in a way that helps me live better you know so that might be like about writing or life, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not necessarily thinking about, or prescribing, uh, belief systems onto other people in any other way, you know, right. and I, 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 you know, and I believe we all are like individuals and individuality is, is sort of like a, almost a moral good, you know, like you mm-hmm. should become individual so much as you become also more empathic towards other individuals.
0: Yeah, I tend to think, like, that, I mean, since you kind of bring it up, that that, like, dichotomy between, like, the collective and the individual seems to be kind of boring or kind of banal, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> the same way that you can't make up the collective without the individual or, like, the individual constituents, like, the individ, like, the community also develops or builds up the individual, like, without a strong sense of community or, like, Right. And I mean like just historically even with like notions of the state, like you you don't have the formation of like the individual. And so I feel like the I don't know, like that the the economy is just kinda of, like not really taking into consideration like really important sorry, very important like social um and historical like contingencies.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's really like the question. Um I'm definitely interested in it, is that like, it's, it's hard to argue how much or if there's a small portion or any of the individual that is not almost utterly determined by, you know, social systems mm-hmm. um, of all sorts and, you know, science systems, language, you know, symbols, all, all of these things being, you know, pretty much controlling but it but the but i think there is an argument to be made that within those limitations there is a certain type of individuality a certain kind of like singularity that can exist exempt from social conditioning
0: right and i guess yeah. just to kind of bring or tie this to a different point um i guess i have a quick question in terms of where you see your thought or the way that you think going what kind of stuff are you currently interested in or have been following up on I mean just in general especially with like COVID you know like a lot of people have quote-unquote had time to read or review or kind of yeah do kind of research so I guess like just generally where do you stand right now yeah,
1: right now, um <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot about the uh, the idea of like belief itself and its the role it plays you know like for for everyone but also politically. I think like uh I've been reading uh like some discordians uh and people who sort of like poked fun at the idea of conspiracy or put like tried to deal with what conspiracy was, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, the conspiracy wasn't like something necessarily true, but it was something that was used as a, you know, uh, mechanism of power. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm very interested in that with obviously like the, the rise of QAnon, but also just like the, almost exponential growth in conspiracies and conspiracy theories. I think there's like conspira- there's conspiracy facts, so to speak, and conspiracy theories, and I'm interested in both those things. I'm interested in like, you know, the actual facts of, you know, financial and, you know, criminal conspiracies, you know. <laughs> those those are certainly interesting and need to be investigated to some extent, but I'm also more interested in how people form conspiracy theories you know and wh- how that functions and especially relative to uh you know mechanisms of power or the interests of power you know right i i think like that that's probably more powerful in a certain way than than any conspiracy you know that's actually completed you know by by those powers you know the power to shape the public imagination and in, in, in any meaningful way like that is certainly a, an interesting form of power that i think we're only beginning to explore right so it's
0: just kind of like the like the power of conspiracy as a social mechanism or a social organ of power
1: right like a social weapon or, you know, also a social, it's not, I shouldn't say a social illness, but a social virus, like the way that it functions as a weird, like contagion, right. you know, of sorts. And, you know, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, it's not necessarily, I don't think these things are, are moral necessarily, um, but there can be like definitely consequences to either you know you could call it an illness when it is destroying people's lives and meaning is meaning to spread an illness you know or a uh you know a a mistruth misinformation you know right but there's also uh something going viral so to speak that exposes power in its sort of nakedness you know right no matter how much disinformation comes after it you know the the viral information of, you know, an act of conspiracy, so to speak, um, right. can be a good thing. You know, that can be like helpful for society to come to terms with its underbelly, so to speak.
0: Kind of reminds me of, um, like, have you, I, don't, I watch a lot of like stuff on YouTube. <laughs> I feel like everyone yeah. does but, um There's this channel I particularly like. I don't, I, it's pretty popular, Meme Analysis
1: yeah, I like that guy. I, I just started watching, uh, but I know him from Twitter mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah, he's and we would like DM great. and stuff. Yeah, he seems cool.
0: Um, and so j- just kind of some of the stuff that you've brought up, um, just reminds me of you know his, he's interested in like meme, memes as magic mm-hmm. and stuff like that. so um,
1: I mean, yeah, yeah there's something to that. yeah.:
0: No, I, I, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, especially in how you brought it up uh that comparison between memes or i guess you you brought it up as viruses like you know these um cons- viral conspiracies you know they they kind of right. spread and, and they infect or you could say they 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 uh they hack <laughs> the epistemology, epistemological systems of the average person
1: mm, yeah, yeah absolutely. what are what are some conspiracies that you uh, maybe not fully believe in, but you're you're open open to the idea or not even open like you're relatively relatively sure that that conspiracy probably took place. Like is there any certain conspiracy or conspiracy theory that you think is is kind of on the mark?
0: Um, not really. I'm pretty boring when <laughs> when it comes really? to
1: conspiracies.
0: Um, I tend to be and and I don't mean this in a bad way, I tend to be like pretty like anti conspiracy, like mm-hmm. not because I'm like, oh conspiracies are fake and blah blah blah. Like that's the point of a conspiracy, right? It's that it it fluffs up reality because it's it disseminates disinformation in a way to kind of um attack, you know, the average person in a way, like you mentioned.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I guess that's why I try to, like, not pay attention to conspiracies because, I mean, just, like, this is part of the reason why I kind of, I do like Combot's take sometimes as Mm -hmm. much as I I don't at the same time. (laughs) It's (laughs) kind of like this duality, but uh, I digress. Um, In terms of just ComtBot's stuff with his conspiracies, I'm just like, yeah, reality is way weirder than, you know, conspiracy theory could ever be and i think you brought it up partially with when, how you mentioned it how like conspiracy fact
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah I, I like i mean a lot of that stuff is is true right i mean like
1: right mk ultra Some you know aspects of it yeah right right
0: so yeah i don't i don't i don't say that like conspiracies aren't true or that i don't believe in them but i'm just like i believe i guess i'll take a, a hot take, I'm like, I believe every conspiracy theory because there's no real reason not to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's like, that's, that's how I take it too. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Some, some are interesting to think about and some are unproductive to think about. Right. You know? Um, but there's some that are just like so interesting that they almost act as metaphor, like storytelling. Right, like you know re- like like
0: neo mythologies or something.
1: Exactly, like making reality with with its storytelling, you know, that kind of like makes more it's you know the truer than true, as Baudrillard would say. You know, there's some there's some interesting conspiracies out there that that kind of do that, but uh I think uh QAnon is sort of crazy in that regard and that it it's 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 genius is that it can just subsume every conspiracy, you know, into it. Yeah. Like if you've seen that like conspiracy map that one of the QAnon, you know, artists made, it's like every conspiracy ever, you know.
0: Yeah it ties back. Just
1: to on it. the thing. Right. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, you know, <laughs> and that's the genius of like a good conspiracy, but that's also like, you know, where where that it clearly cannot you know, operate that way. You know, like, like the genius of the theory is that more people will believe it, but it so sort of clearly shows itself to be uh, self-interested. You know, self-growing, not you know true based on a fact. You know, right? Like a stateable fact. But I don't know. Uh, uh, I read these books. I think this year or last year that were really fun called uh the montauk Project uh books, and it's written by these people who claim to be the guy claims to be a part of this you know and it's mm-hmm. a crazy book about um like CIA time travel and like multidimensional travel <laughs> at montauk <laughs> like under the under the montauk uh you like know cooking. satellite base there mm-hmm. um it's so fascinating. And it's like, uh, this guy has, it's like so much technical details and you know, it's like so much uh, facts though to speak that right. can be completely fabricated or true. It doesn't really, you know, I, I, I don't really care, you know, you know right. it's like, I, I, I think it's an interesting like story that that is just so fanciful that like even if it's just a crazy yarn that someone's telling, it's it's so fascinating, you know? And it ha- like ties into all these things like, you know, uh Reich and uh Freud and you know uh Tesla and uh Werner von Braun, I think it is, yeah. Uh all the all of these like historical figures, you know. Right. It, yeah. Those, are, those. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: I was gonna say, is this book like an actual? Is it like an actual, Is it? I guess my thing would be: is it nonfiction or fiction?
1: Um, it purports to be true, you know, but mm-hmm. it, it's also like, uh, you you know, take it take it as a. It literally says in the beginning, like you can just take it as a metaphor if you want you know mm. you know we're going to present it as it is
0: it reminds me of um the way that like what's his name hp lovecraft kind of writes stuff right and you know creates this atmosphere of like hyper realism and in that sense it, it grounds itself in reality even though it's tackling these notions of the outside or like yeah weirdness and in that sense, I don't know, just the kind of the vibes that you presented.
1: Do you? Yeah. Do you like Lovecraft? Have I've you read, read
0: him. Yeah, I've read some of his story, you know, short stories and stuff. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm like a big Lovecraft. Um, like, I, there's people obviously on Twitter that know way more about Lovecraft than me. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've read some of it. Do you like Lovecraft?
1: Um, I've only read a little bit of it, just for like classes and whatnot. Right. so i can't really make a judgment on lovecraft it seems very interesting and it comes up in theory so often you know right that that it, it has to be there has to be something there but there's also this like <laughs> uh this like underlying insidiousness to h.p lovecraft <laughs> you know
0: yeah
1: in I mean... his racism in his like uh just like fear right Fear of the other but you know that doesn't mean it's necessarily not worth breeding
0: uh one of one uh, of my maybe friends I should read one one of my friends pointed me out to or pointed me to the name of his cat <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you know the anecdote
1: oh yeah what is the name of his cat
0: um i wouldn't be at liberty to say but it's um if you Google. (laughs) If you if you Google Lovecraft's cat, you'll 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 find something there. Let's
1: see.
0: And it's funny because. Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's no good. (laughs) I didn't know what is. I mean, I had never heard that anecdote before, and then. My friend just pointed me to it and was like, yeah, I, I learned this in class. And I was like, man, that, that's that's crazy. Um, <laughs> I
1: think I think Nick Land tweeted that once.
0: I think so, too. Um, I mean, he's a he's a fan. I mean, just he's just a fan, general yeah. p- point of point of uh, Nick Land's <laughs> fascination with Lovecraft, I think, extends yeah. beyond um, his writing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think his political views are are certainly in line
0: how's, how's your <laughs>
1: to a certain extent
0: um relation to i guess because I, I feel like a lot of people on twitter might recognize us or at least me because that's particularly my brand mm-hmm. um with accelerationism so i guess what's your connection or your like your take on it, I guess. Um, just in general, um, or how you got into it and stuff like that.
1: I think I, I think it was genuinely interesting for a moment, mm-hmm. like reading. Once you like read the accelerationists and in accelerationist texts can be like fascinating, but um, my personal relationship is, I, you know I've grown like pretty exhausted by, the, the aesthetic and the like you know not the aesthetic i should say like i guess yeah the aesthetic and the uh like the attempt to form a politics from it you know right like i i've definitely like had a had a brief moment when you're reading those things where you try and be like well what does like a left acceleration at some look like what does you know Mm -hmm. uh what does a politics look like like where do you use this and Uh, You know, I never really considered it useful politically, you know, but I, I still find it, uh, uh, almost eschatologically interesting in that, like, it points to an almost religiosity of, uh, you know, techno singularity, you know, of sorts, like, like, uh, a complete ending of humanity a complete ending of history which which is kind of fascinating you know that's a an apocalyptic you know almost religion Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um and in that i find it almost like interesting to consider uh in the same way that i find almost like you know christian mystics (laughs) interesting (laughs) to read you know but further than that i don't find it informative to uh to, to my, you know, core beliefs. But I, I do sometimes find it interesting when considering financial uh, assets and, you know, cybernetics that still exist, I do consider it interesting. But I think that even that is going to be a phase to, of sorts, you know?
0: Right.
1: There'll, there'll be other technologies that will spur, you know, different techno-optimisms. And it's already kind of becoming pastiche. You know right. the accelerationism thing. So, uh, you know it's in, it's interesting to see, but uh, it you know you you can't I do think you can't underestimate the fact that this stuff was like cool in the '90s, mm-hmm. you know, and it's only kind of getting cooler now. Now I I don't know how long that'll last, but you can't underestimate <laughs> how uh, popular accelerationism right. as sort of a viral idea has become.
0: Right. I feel like, just with anything, like, it comes and goes, especially with um, kind of like the quote-unquote era that we find ourselves in. I, I know that it's kind of, like, cliche to say, it, but, like, you know, the postmodern era. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's just one of those things that becomes so, like, self-referential that it really becomes, like you mentioned, like, um, like pastiche or, like... um Yeah. I don't know, just kind of bo- it it box itself down in its own self-referentialism.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, it is sort of pastiche though. You know, you said like we're in the postmodern era, but we're in like the post-postmodern era at least, you know. Right. It's
0: like uh, I, I, sorry. It's,
1: it's been recycled, you know.
0: To kind of interrupt you there, sorry. Um I mm-hmm. have a quick question about post-postmodernism. I know that a lot of people call it or tend to associate it with meta modernism. Do you have any thoughts about that outside of its general artistic neoliberal takes, or or do you have any views on that? Or
1: Um, I only refer to it like kind of like tongue in tongue in cheek. You know, like I, I just don't even. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's like you're you're getting ridiculous when you're when you're sort of like creating that kind of but that level of self-referentiality, so to right. speak, that you're that you're referring to, you know, I, 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 it just doesn't resonate with me as, as, I don't know, useful or interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I, I I generally agree. Um, I don't know just even the even the syllogism not syllogism the uh, neologism of post postmodernism I'm just like shut up
1: right yeah that's the thing it's like uh, come on it's like now there might be like useful thinkers and you know works that come out of so called post postmodernism but or yeah post postmodernism but uh, only because that work was good, you know not because it's part of this little micro you know not because some somebody some scholar goes, oh, that's post postmodernism you know Right. that's kind of a ridiculous thing to to keep doing
0: right to constantly categor it, it gives it this like notion of like linear li- linear or, linearity or um yeah I don't know like this the sense of progressive history, which I don't know kind of seems outdated and no longer like a useful uh referent or framework
1: right yeah i completely agree uh, well you know i know that there's people in academia you know that that kind of enjoy that kind of thing Mm -hmm. so i won't i won't like say that that's for people in academia who just like to kind of catalog uh works and that's kind of like their thing is to sort of like just kind of label and catalog things and that can be useful but for me i'm just like that that doesn't serve my personal desire you know that doesn't that, that doesn't interest me so i i don't i don't normally enjoy going through like catalogs you know, of, like, oh, post-structuralism, you know? It just so happens that people are post-structuralist, you know?
0: Right. It's not like you're going to read someone because they're associated with post-structuralism or anything like that.
1: Right, right.
0: Yeah, I think that's, like, a bigger criticism that we could definitely go into about, like, the post-structuralists and how they're, like, hyper-fetishized right now yeah um, but we are coming up here uh on an hour i don't know if you wanted to go ahead and jump into the questions that we got asked
1: yeah let's let's do that let's do some of the ama questions Let me... Yes, this I know I just because I think I've never actually like watched the video at all mm-hmm. uh but I know I know of it you know <laughs> uh like I but I don't think I've ever seen it so I don't know the actual like argument do you know why the blockchain solves the problem of space time
0: <laughs> um yeah uh I, yeah I've seen the video
1: and I a lot give of us this... a lowdown give us a quick lowdown how does it
0: the I'll do a TLDR because uh, it's definitely long-winded. Like, I mean, even if you've seen that video, you see that he spends 20 minutes talking about blockchain. <laughs> so it's kind of <laughs> one of those things. But essentially, I think what Nick Land's argument in terms of how the blockchain solves space-time space- space- boils down to how it, re- it it brings us back this notion of... and. Oh, this might not be the right way to say it, but linear notion of time, like this, uh, like Euclidean, you know, Euclidean time or Newtonian mm-hmm. time, um, uh, mm-hmm. which would be that it's formal. It's an arrow. It goes in one way or it right. flows in one direction. And the, you know, the, the primary argument is because of this succession that blockchain exempt exemplifies. Um, so the fact that, you know, each block um, is validated by the previous block of transactions. And then that gives you, quote unquote, a history in a way or a ledger about events that took place. It's essentially creating a quote unquote timeline or a notion mm-hmm. of time, a flow of time. You could, you could think of it. And that's primarily led from two things. One, critique as Nick Land views it. Critique being just a positive, positive feedback loop or process, um, which kind of feed, feeds back on feeds back on itself to kind of progress. And then that notion of critique as this positive feedback process um, of constant, you know, looping, is tied to some of his and Anna Greenspan's, I think that's her name. Anna
1: yeah, 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 I read that like dissertation yeah um dissertation that was really good what is it called i
0: think it's like the kantian time machine i don't even remember what yeah it
1: the capitalist time machine capitalist time machine or, or yeah something time capitalism is time machine or you know something along those lines right
0: um and then that ties back to notions of templexity or teleoplexy in some sense both mm-hmm. i would say which is that um time you know as a as a time helix it's a loop, so it, it refers back to itself, but it still maintains. So it's like a cycle in a way; it keeps cyclicity, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it keeps its notion of linearity because it it doesn't loop back on itself as a as a circle as a cycle. It, yeah, you know, it it renews itself, and in a way, it kind of echoes some of Deleuze's ideas of the eternal recurrence in the Deleuzian sense, right? Which is just a return of difference. Um, and then in terms of teleoplexy blockchain is just an example of teleoplexy because it instantiates this notion of critique of kantian critique as a mm-hmm. like a technical or material instanti- instantiation of that process and so the nickland kind of is quoted by saying that the the fact that something like blockchain exists um, kind of proves itself right right and so, in the trans- in the transcendental manner, you know, it it um it it validates itself or something. It 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 it's like if we're living in an Einsteinian paradigm of space and time, then the fact that we have something like blockchain, which is a more Euclidean, traditional Newtonian sense of notion of time, is critique. It, it's literally finding a way to formulate the transcendental aesthetic. Uh, within the conditions
1: of the experience of time or
0: something like that.
1: Mm. That's pretty interesting. Uh, linear time, though. It was, it sounds like a prison, though. I don't want to get locked into <laughs> linear Newtonian time, you know? Right. Fucking I?
0: It's like we have we have enough of that already. I, I work 9 to 5. Like I don't exactly. need more linear time.
1: It reminds me in The Sound and the Fury, the dad gives the son a broken watch and he's like i give this to you so that you can escape time (laughs) you know it's like time time fucking sucks i I don't want to be i don't want to be completely locked into it i want to be able to slightly escape the idea of being in you know hard structured time time structures of blows. but whatever you know i have no control over that
0: which I think it's kind of funny that Nick Land even talks about this kind of stuff, given how he has, like, collabed, <laughs> you could say, with the CCRU and written bangers like Lemurian Time War and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. are kind of advocating for a non-linear notion of time. But I don't know. That's that's a lot to unpack there. And...
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you could talk, we could do episodes on that. Right. Full episodes.
0: Um. Next question. Do you want to do
1: uh, that one, or I was gonna do. Uh, someone asks best books to read before trying to understand to losing Guattari. Nice. Do yep. you Do you have any on those?
0: That's uh. That's Evan. I know Evan, so shout out to oh, Evan. Oh, cool. Um. I have one. Mm. Best books to read before tackling someone like deleuze um uh, i don't know I, ge- I guess my thing would just be just anything that you've read right <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah you
1: definitely have to bring that there's so many references in the in in especially like the capitalism and schizophrenia series you know right you couldn't possibly read all of them but it's like there are a lot of good references i would say read your Marx and your Freud. I would say right. like, if you understand the basics of Marx and Freud, then you'll understand Deleuze and Guattari much better. You know, right. I think those that's a good way to understand it. Um, and I think, you know, there might be something to be said about reading secondary material, but uh, I think the incomprehensibility and sort of slow unlocking of to losing Guattari is part of the process. So I think like Marx and Freud are definitely like probably very helpful and necessary to understand <laughs> what they're trying to do. Um, but just kind of going in and not understanding 90% of it the first time you read it is completely part of doing it, you know, Right. like reading it a couple times and then watching it sort of like untangle itself as you read other material and come back to it is kind of like why I think they're such a you know huge useful set of thinkers
0: right I think that's part of why also like there seems to be like I wouldn't want to say there's a consensus to a reading of Deleuze and Guattari but I feel like there's almost a more idiosyncratic there tends to be more idiosyncratic ways of reading Deleuze and Guattari and that's generally to do with what you come in reading them like just your, your experience, your particular interpretations of other people's works, their references, things like that. Like you mentioned, Marx and Freud, not everyone's going to have the same reading of those two thinkers. And so, just mm-hmm. even approaching Deleuze and Guattari with that background, although you can have a very orthodox view, you can also come into it having a very already like idiosyncratic or uh, like non contextualized um, reading, which may change the way that the books unpack.
1: Hmm. I think that's yeah. I think that's well put. Uh, yeah. Um. I was trying to see. Um. Something we should maybe touch on. Someone asks, "Do you think cryptocurrency is actually a deterritorializing force, and will it someday reterritorialize something more interesting of its own?" It's kind of an a. Uh, strangely worded question because it's kind of asked something that seems a little paradoxical. But uh, do you want to at least? Talk about the first part uh, about um, is it a deterritorializing force?
0: My short answer would just be yes, but actually, do you mind taking this one? Because I know that you have a more, um, I don't know, like a, 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 we've talked before, so I, I definitely have heard your takes on some of this stuff, and so I, I'm much more interested in what you have to say on this one.
1: Yeah, I think it, it is a deterritorializing force. If the territory, so to speak, is the financial system or like the way that financial transactions are made in the world, it, it definitely deterritorializes that system. But I think deterritorializing is not necessarily like a good thing. You know, it's it, mm-hmm. to say something is a deterritorializing force, like a fire is a deterritorializing force. You know what I mean? Like that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good it's good it's it's just that like it's your most useful weapon for good as a revolutionary so to speak you know as a revolutionary subject or group so I think it is a deterritorializing force in in that regard but the idea that it'll re-territorialize I think is inevitable you know um, what that will be um, is kind of the question will it be like Will it become sort of like the de facto new re-territorialized financial system where everybody is you know transacting in some sort of cryptocurrency mm-hmm. that that seems possible or is it just going to become sort of like to the extent it's only going to reach that it's just sort of like a speculative asset that is traded within the current financial system so to speak right. you know that that that's the question that only you know, the people who trade cryptocurrency will well determine, you know, right. if, if they can overcome the, the sort of majority force of the old system of banking and economic speculation.
0: Right. I think that pairs up well with just like deterritorialization and re-territorialization or territorialization, however you want to framework it in general mm-hmm. because... I think that those two terms tend to be used in like linear or like dialectical frameworks. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, this thing is, this force is doing the deterritorialization. And so this is what the re-territorialization would look like, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that tends to be more a dialectical, like Hegelian framework, just Mm -hmm. disguised with (laughs) Deleuzian aesthetics. But I guess my thing with that is just that de-territorialization and re-territorialization tend to be more like... Like, they do come in this, like, Deleuze and Batari, or I, I guess in, like, I think it's capitalism... No, A Thousand Plateaus, where they talk about this du- double articulation. Um, It doesn't have to be linear. It can, it, and, you know, something can deterritorialize something in the past. Like, I, I think this is what's great about Nick Land in some cases, where it's like something can happen in the past which you know changes the future but simultaneously something in the future can be untangling the past. Mm-hmm. And so it's a non-dialectical non-linear process. I mean like something like COVID-19, you know, it's a non-dialectical entity and yet it's mm-hmm. able to deterritorialize a lot of camps and um social yeah. frameworks machines things like that and yeah at the same time look, look at all the reterritorialization we're getting but it's it's not it's not a direct consequence of just COVID-19. Like a lot of this stuff has already been present in the deep state or in the deep past.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's extremely well put, you know, I like what you said about, yeah, how it is a non dialectical process, you know, right. Like that, that I think that's a huge aspect, you know, that break with Hegel that you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Which I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I, I guess it's just like my my take on that. Like, I would say, yeah, I mean, blockchain seems to be a pretty strong deterritorializing force. But even mm-hmm. with things like Coinbase, like, I'm not saying that's a, again, that's not a direct dialectic, but you can already see small pockets of re territorialization. And I mean, that's right. the thing. Like, re territorialization and de-ter- deterritorialization, they don't happen like oh one comes first one comes second like they can come even mm-hmm. at the same time like simultaneously yeah. working in conjunction with one another
1: absolutely and you see that with like bitcoin you know you see like the simultaneous uh sort of like the opinion is changing on bitcoin and in, in sort of like the uh semiotic system around it is deterritorializing to a certain extent if not like sometimes quickly sometimes slowly like the amount of people trading bitcoin is going up and like the way people think about it as like an entity going into the future i think it's okay. like completely changing but bitcoin itself has clearly reached at times like a reterritorialization of of it's just potential to operate as a currency right like mm-hmm. like there's 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 an economic reterritorialization going on while there's a semiotic deterritorialization you know so you have like processes within processes and it's not necessarily one or the other you know they i like you said simultaneously they can be going on at the same time i think that's exactly what's going on with with bitcoin
0: right i i i 100% agree and i i mean just based on like the conversations that we we've had in the past um like, I mean, I think that's just the thing with new technologies. There's always so much potential for them to, quote unquote, do good. And I think some people tend to map that out with deterritorialization, like you mentioned. But mm-hmm. that's the thing about these things. Either of them, deterritorialization or reterritorialization, they're like apolitical processes. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's, to, at least to me, it seems to be kind of pointless to try to beforehand, and again, in a more dialectical approach to kind of, identify them in terms of what they mean or what they represent.
1: Yeah. 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 I think that's true. And I think that simultaneously is a big problem that we're like we've made them apolitical entities. Mm-hmm. You know, certain forces that are highly deterritorializing, economic forces, we have left up to, you know, the financial industry and sort of the Bitcoin enthusiasts, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, others, but we've sort of like taken them out of the realm of politics because you know, we we want to support like uh deterritorializing forces um without like you know re-territorializing them by force, you know, right. with regulation or uh political interjection into the process of value creation, you know, and uh you know creative destruction that would come with that you know right um but i think that's like not necessarily true i think that's like a ideological uh you know conditioned belief right yeah a conditioned constraint that you know i think you necessarily have to have some sort of response to it even if your response is nothing is the sort of like where uh, libertarian stoicism that we have towards, you know, the financial engines Mm -hmm. of society now, you know, but that's not necessarily how it has to be. Right. You know, I, I think that's, that's weirdly obvious, but I think we kind of are weirdly, you know, and I think you can make a crass almost, uh, comparison to like, you know, uh, capitalist realism, you know, that, that idea that like it's, it's become almost impossible to imagine, a system of regulation of almost any sort of these, like you know, these financial engines. Right. So, the you know, I'm I, I I'm not going to like say necessarily what that should be now, but I think that that could, the question should be asked, like, what would we like want out of these, out of these engines, you know, like out of these streams of value or out of these engines to change the social structure, you know? Right. Like, what if we change the priority to, you know, either the alleviation of human suffering or the, you know, creation of uh, like, you know, different kinds of human prosperity, you know, Mm-hmm. those questions I think are worth asking so
0: right which I think like just in terms like I, I think I kind of mentioned this in a tweet where it's like certain processes might be non-dialectical but that doesn't mean that we as social beings or humans you could you know to, to kind of be anthropocentric for a little bit doesn't that, that doesn't mean that we don't interpret these things in a dialectical method, which I think understanding that, as opposed to kind of taking that a priori as like the, the reality or the, the notion the notion of reality kind of um may give us a more grounded approach at how to, you know, ask the questions that you're interested in.
1: Yeah. I mean, the podcast is named decode, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's I mean, I think that's like almost an ethical, an ethical statement of like what you just said, you know, that you can, you can either take the code at face value as, you know, your way of thinking, or you can D de- decode and sort of decide for yourself what, what your code is, you know, so to right. speak.
0: And I think, I just, I think both of us and the kind of lines of, quote quote lines of light (laughs) just kidding um the the lines of thinking that we're both kind of interested in they tend to be more aimed towards this like Nietzschean, or at least i tend to associate it with like this Nietzschean delusian vitalism which i think a lot of people just tend to be like really blackpilled on twitter or Mm -hmm. like on (laughs) social media or just like in in you know the net space and so um I, th- I think vitalism is important. And I think if you don't have like a vitalist approach or vitalist ethics, um, all that you have is, you know, your black pilled doomer um, <laughs> like aesthetic. And I don't know. The, I mean, to each their own, but that doesn't seem to be very productive to try to change things. You've kind of already sold your soul to capitalism.
1: <laughs> yeah. This is a neo vitalist podcast. Confirm. Yeah.
0: Decode is. Uh decode is neo Neovitalist confirmed. Pog.
1: We got shooters. Shooters <laughs> in the neovitalist community.
0: Which how Doomers you all ain't gonna listen to um burial and walk around in your room anymore.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I do have here a question. Um, you may know them. They are fate accomplice. Oh. And oh, they're okay. asking Let's see here is akira the body without organs
1: <laughs>
0: have you seen akira the the anime no. the anime
1: or... i haven't seen akira should i watch it
0: i think you should watch it um it has strong quote-unquote like accelerationist themes but i think to kind of narrow it down to just that would be kind of giving it the service
1: oh i'll have to watch this for the next episode i can answer i can answer that question
0: and then oh, let's yeah. see. this is for you chris um or do you mind if i call you by mm-hmm. yeah i don't mind at all okay um let's see here and then ep- if we can do an episode where we do reading extended ex- excerpts from Boldies america
1: yeah, absolutely. We could do that. Nice, especially. You the... should do a little Boudoir America episode. That would be good.
0: I think so too. I think if things pan out with um, Ma Machine Conscious uh, in terms of some of the next projects, I think we can definitely do some some interplay there. If you uh, yeah. catch my drift.
1: Oh, I do. <laughs> so
0: hopefully that that pans out. And...
1: Yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah, those, those guys are awesome.
0: Shout out this, to to Machine The
1: big, the big brother pod.
0: Right. <laughs> All right, and then we do have some more questions. I don't know if you want to keep going. Um, I don't know how you're feeling.
1: I feel good. I feel good. We can keep doing questions. Okay. Finish these up if you want. All right. So let's see here all shadows
0: asks shout out to all shadows they've been a long time mutual and i really like them so shout out to them nice um is the spine a mistake yes (laughs) have you read spinal catastrophism
1: no (laughs) no not yet but that seems like a pretty interesting book The have you picked that up yet
0: yeah i've been reading it but i had to put it down for other projects so i haven't finished it personally but
1: So what's, what's the, uh, what's, did you, did you kind of get the argument to be made against the spine from the book that we can give here?
0: Yeah, it's more like, at least the way that I understood it was that the spine generally tends to be conceptualized as this, um, like teleological, part of this teleological process of sapiens. So uh, although sapiens does come out of something like the, you know, the. The verticalization of the spine, the calcification of it. Um, this tends to be more, if a, a, in the sense of catastrophe theory, uh, it just some, it just tended to be this thing. You know, we we evolved to be upright or upright, and then uh, this has particular biological repercussions or traumas, which um, you know they're permanently etched into our quote unquote or you could say like biological memory or in the in the Freudian sense and you know like our unconscious yeah um so I think that's like the biggest the biggest um that would be like my TLDR of what I've read so far in the book and that tends to be like the view I feel like of the author which is like that um you know the spine in a way it is a mistake not like in not like in a planned teleological sense but more in like a you know evolutionary yeah like, right so right so it's it's yeah. more like we evolved to be upright but you know what are the consequences of that
1: yeah i tend to think the spine is a constriction but it's likely a constriction placed upon man by god for some sort of grave error that we've made in the past and that's just the cross we bear is the spine you know no. and uh you know I, i'll just i just take it at face value i say you know, uh, I have these deep-seated evolutionary memories and traumas that are holding me back, but I just got to work through it, you know? just got to work through the spinal trauma.
0: Young living up to his uh, neobitalist philosophy.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm trying to grift into a spinal psychotherapist, you know? <laughs> Spinal trauma therapist. You're gonna
0: could do it. Is your next uh, seminar going to be on um, what it's called spine, spine trauma, spine psycho I mean, psychotherapy? It honestly might be.
1: I'm being, I'm speaking ironically, but honestly, I should, I should do some spinal, <laughs> some spinal <laughs> trauma <laughs> psychotherapy. It's like you don't need a chiropractor. <laughs> it's honestly, not a bad idea. It's it's, <laughs> it's it's really interesting stuff so far that I read about it. So you
0: you don't need a chiropractor. Soon, maybe I'll do <laughs> that. I've never even, have you ever been to a
1: chiropractor?
0: Never I, been. I went once and... Really? It, I want to say it helped, but it could just all be, what is it called? Um, Placebo. Placebo. Right. Yeah.
1: But even if it's placebo, if it's like a really good back massage, that's that's probably worth it. If you have a really bad back.
0: Right. I don't know. I, I know that some people get a relieved back pain, but again, how yeah. much of that is placebo and
1: chiropractors always weird me out though because they're all their offices just look like money laundering fronts you know (laughs) they're like in a strip mall and it's like chiropractor and you never know if they're a doctor or not i don't even think they have to be a doctor some of them do they have
0: to be a doctor no they don't don't. right i think i think you just have to be like just do it physician maybe certified
1: yeah Yeah. so it's like it's a little wild west of medicine out there right the chiropractor business so that kind of weirds me out.
0: All of them tend to be like, knows. what's it called? Like, like I feel like their side hustle. Like, yeah, it's chiropractics, but then like their side hustle is like, <laughs> what is what are those called? Like, Ponzi schemes and <laughs> self help, <laughs> multi level marketing. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're just selling like nitrous oxide <laughs> out of their out of their offices probably.
0: Yeah. I don't know if if there there was a if there was a thing that you'd 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 grift on what 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 would it what would it be besides this uh self-help spinal spinal psychotherapy yeah
1: spinal trauma therapy thing seems seems like it could be like a good thing to try out but what would be like a good grift i think the way any grift works is almost like a uh psychological control of sorts over specific specifically like psychologically vulnerable individuals. So I think the way you could Grift is like start a podcast and then get like a bunch of people to feel like they're like, you know learning something from the podcast and then we like ask them for money <laughs> at some point. <laughs> like so I feel like that might be the best way that seems like uh the best grift in town as of late
0: right I think uh I think I I think this what's it called this uh this begs a patreon at this time (laughs) yeah (laughs) fire it up alright everyone uh give us your money uh what is it called the the tier tier one is one dollar And uh, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know. I I haven't looked into it.
1: We'll have like a $100 tier where what would be like a $100 tier activity we could do? We could do like a... um, What could be a $100 tier? Like, I want to say like you could come on the podcast, but... I feel like
0: they could just do that. At five dollars, <laughs> right? <At> five
1: dollars. <laughs> at no dollars, you could probably do the same thing easily. Right. So, what well, could be a hundred dollars? Like
0: a hundred dollars, and I'll give you my my Twitter password. You can yeah. log in. Yeah,
1: yeah. You get our Twitter passwords. <laughs> you get. And... You can
0: be cute numina for a day.
1: mm mm-hmm. You can be young. You can be young agamen for a week. <laughs> cute numina for a day, though
0: um i don't know I, i'm having a h- hard time thinking because i'm like is there anything that i can produce that's like
1: that much value quanti-
0: yeah quantitatively <laughs> worth a hundred dollars man I, I must be really short selling myself here
1: if we really wanted to grift we could do like hundred dollars seminars you know
0: no nah, man i think we could do I have, I have seminars
1: a couple hundred dollar seminars what are you talking about <laughs> probably i've seen i've seen whenever i people have those like seminars i'm like yeah i'll see what it is and it's always like yeah four hundred dollars for a seminar and you're like oh my goodness and they're always like, they're like
0: half the price yeah. of like what you would pay for tuition i'm like bro tuition's like three hundred dollars
1: chill right <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly oh my god um yeah so that sounds like the hundred a couple hundred dollars tier
0: like you you get to pick a podcast episode
1: <laughs> yeah that'd be good
0: you, you get all the show notes you get the scripts show notes.
1: You get signed some... show notes the script <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh, we
0: should... uh, a lot of those patreons here i'm just like man this stuff's useless just let me have access to the episode please <laughs> you yeah, know what, what's funny i what sucks. i've learned if you actually download the episode and then you get, you request a refund directly through Patreon, they'll give you the money back, but you can still keep the file.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's nice.
0: <laughs> I don't know if they still do that, but um, that's what I did a couple of times.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good way to do it. That's how you can get a lot of things. That seems to be the de facto policy at most places, is that if you complain, they give you your money back or Give you the item for free.
0: That um, the, that American the customer's always right.
1: The Karenism. <laughs> the K the KK Karenism, you know. Right.
0: All right. Well, we are coming up here almost an hour and a half. Do you have any final comments or final things you wanted to bring up or?
1: Um. No, not really. I, this has been great. I'm so excited to start the podcast this is a fun first episode i'm super excited to get this recording on the regular and i'm super excited for the guests that we that we're getting for for the episodes in the future so that's that's extremely exciting
0: same i would name drop some of them right now but like yeah we gotta we gotta figure some of that stuff out first
1: yeah we should be sure we don't want to be like Kantbot and <laughs> announce announce a bunch of people we're not gonna have on. Yeah,
0: yeah, guys. Nick Land's coming in. Uh, he's yeah. gonna cancel every time that we ask <laughs> him about it.
1: Yeah, fair enough, though. You know, right. But we should just put that he's coming on though, <laughs> just like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna pin it as a comment on my uh, timeline. And yeah. have it as the number one tweet when you open up
1: my Twitter. <laughs> Welcome to Decode. Guests including Outsideness, Riza Negristani. I've, uh, I've heard Riza's pretty hard to get a hold of.
0: Not, like, actually contact, but just, like, <laughs> get
1: to do anything. Yeah. Is he, I think he's off Twitter now. Is he At off least Twitter? For the time being. I tried to look him up because I was like, I haven't seen Reza on Twitter in weeks. And then I looked it up and he was just gone damn he tends to do that a lot yeah you can see he activates for like long periods of time here let me double check
0: which i'm excited about his upcoming book which has been upcoming for like a year
1: well i'm sure it takes i'm sure it takes a ton of time to write those books I'm, i'm surprised intelligence and the spirit didn't take longer right that that book would have been a nightmare if i had to like rewrite that
0: did you read all of *Intelligence and Spirit*?
1: I would say I read half of it. I haven't finished it. I left it halfway, but I, I did like it. But for some reason, I just kind of got bored of it halfway through. So I gotta finish it.
0: Yeah, same here. I haven't finished most of it. I would say.
1: We could do a an ep on.
0: On intelligence. AI,
1: yeah, intelligence, emergence, emerging <laughs> you- intelligence, and reason negristani and whatnot that'd be be cool
0: all right any plugins or anything that you want to throw in here
1: um not currently but watch out for hopefully i'll do uh some like essay publishing soon either you know on medium or Substack or whatever whatever is easiest to figure out so Mm -hmm. yeah watch for that and uh keep reading the Newman newsletter and the medium posts
0: which is funny that you mentioned that because I was actually going to have a project that I'm announcing pretty soon Ooh. and so I'm actually going to put a hiatus on the medium posts but it'll be for a good reason when I announce it it'll be, it'll make sense
1: (laughs) perfect but yeah no so excited thanks for tuning in this is gonna be i think it's gonna be a pretty amazing time
0: same all right well i'll catch you around
1: young all right catch you later later